What we're going to deal with this weekend is what you've already heard and we've been announcing is uh, marriages worthy of display. And let me just say ahead of time, the purpose of our sessions this weekend is not to beat you up or to make you feel bad or to shame you into anything, but to show you what God's design for marriage is and then allow the spirit of God to take you from wherever you are to closer to that picture. You understand? God does not save us and expect us to be the perfect Christian right away. The Bible talks about growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about maturing in our walk. The Bible talks about not being satisfied with where we are, but move striving toward what's ahead. But at the same time, the Bible never beats you up and says, why aren't you here yet? And so this weekend, as I share with you very, very serious and honest scriptural truth, do not let the enemy try to beat you up and say you're a horrible husband or horrible wife. That's not the purpose. We want you to see what God's design is and what his plan is, and then allow the Spirit of God as you guys prayerfully discuss it over the weekend and begin to put these things into practice. Allow the Spirit of God to take you to where he wants you to be at the pace and the level he's designed for each of the couples. All right, now keep that in mind, because as you're going to find out, what we're going to look at from God's word goes against pretty much everything that the world teaches about marriage and relationships. And so what all I'm going to do tonight is lay a foundation for you. Tomorrow in the two sessions, we're going to look at specifics of how to put these things into practice. All we're going to do tonight is lay a foundation. So would you pray with me as we get into the word tonight? Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to study your word and allow you to speak to us. Lord, I thank you for the for the fact that there's so many couples here that have taken time over Valentine's Day weekend to come and to, to allow you to teach us and to speak to us from your word about our marriages. Lord, we, we know what a gift it is to be married, yet at the same time, we sometimes don't fully understand how to live it out because it takes work, it takes your grace, it takes your spirit, but you've designed it for a reason and you've designed it for purposes that you're going to speak to us about tonight and tomorrow. And so, Lord, keep me from trying to accomplish anything in my flesh. May your spirit be the one who opens eyes. May your word be the one, uh, be what it's used to teach us and to, to mature us and sanctify us for your purposes. Lord, keep the enemy from trying to speak to anyone tonight so that we would only hear from you. And we would recognize what it is that you have for us. And Lord, we look forward to seeing what you do for your glory as we hear you and we put into practice what it is that you said. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do tonight is I want to show you from Scripture some of the things that God has designed for his glory. I want you to see that actually if you look at the Scriptures, everything that God makes and everything that God has made and everything that God has instituted or designed was designed to display his glory. If you go back in your minds to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. And you get all the way through that whole chapter, and you'll see over and over and over, the scripture says, and God saw that it was good. You get to verse 31, and he saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, hang on for a second. Why does God go through all the effort to create things and then tell everybody, oh, by the way, I did a good job? Think about that for a minute. Oh, by the way, let me give you a little heads up. Uh, I'm going to ask questions. And uh, if you don't go home, it's because you didn't answer. All right. So 
Why do you think God said over and over, I made this and it's good? Thoughts? Because God is good. Because God is good. Go ahead. There's lots of reasons. I'm sorry? It's serving its purpose. It's serving its purpose. Go to Psalm chapter 19 and look at verse 1. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As you're about to see, as you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, go to Romans chapter 1, God designed creation to point to him and to bring glory to himself so that mankind would worship him. He's made creation pretty amazing. And it's pretty interesting to me that the more and more that time goes on, the more and more man designed things that are going to just keep us inside with our video screens and our technology. And when actually the more you get outside, the more you come to understand who God is. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 18 and following. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Does anybody catch what God says here? What he says is there's really no such thing as an atheist. There are people that claim to be atheists who don't believe that there's a God, but the scripture says actually deep down they know there's a God. They just don't want to acknowledge it. There's really no such thing as an actual atheist. They really do deep down know that there's a God. But keep reading what happens next. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Some of your translations say who's to be praised forever. So again, God created the world and the universe and everything that we see to display his glory so that man would worship him. Man ignored all that and decided that they would worship the created things themselves and the birds and the animals and not give glory to God. But creation was made to display God's glory. But not only that, as you're going to see in what we're going to look at tonight, Creation wasn't only designed to display God's glory. It was also designed by God to point people to him through Jesus. And you're going to see that. Go to John chapter 1. He not only wants to be praised, he wants us to know him through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, I want you to read slowly with me. They're a very familiar passage, but look closely at what it really says here. In John 1, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, 
was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he be who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word that created everything, and it was at the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John, the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. It's a little tricky, but if you read it slowly, pray that the Spirit helps you see what it says here. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Isn't that interesting? No one's ever seen God, but God who's at the Father, God's side, has made him known. If you go back in your minds to the beginning, when God said in Genesis, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made male and female. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But God has always existed in three persons. There's only one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, there is one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. But he's always manifested himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Who created the world, though? Was it the Father, was it the Son, or was it the Holy Spirit? Good answer. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but we just saw here that Jesus, the Son, no, nothing was made that wasn't made by him. But I also see back in Genesis that the Spirit of God also hovered over the face of the deep. God created, and all three parts of the Trinity were involved in creation. Yet, for God's purposes, as you're going to see from the Scriptures today, He not only was wanting the world to realize that He existed, His divine nature, His eternal qualities being clearly seen through what's been made, so that everybody's without excuse, He also at the same time had a plan before the creation of the world to have what He had created point not only to him, but to him through this one individual, this son that was going to come, the third part of the Trinity, if you will, who was going to be the one who would make it so man could get to God. As you're going to see, God says, I'm here. But then all through scripture, all the things that he creates, all the things that he designs are also used to not just say that God exists, but the only way you can get to him is through Jesus. You see what I'm saying? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word became flesh, and then we see what? He, him, he, him. He wants us to know him through this one individual. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 15 and 16. By the way, this foundation will be very, very helpful for us when we get to our marriage part of God's design. But again, let's let the scriptures build a foundation for us first. Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 15 and 16. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a little bit here, but I think it's going to be worth us chasing it. I'm going to throw something out to you tonight that I believe this God has opened my eyes to. And I want you to not just take it because Jim says it, but I want you to wrestle with it a little bit. Through my years of studying the scriptures, I have come to believe that I think that everything that we see in this world that was created by God was created after Satan fell. For years, people have thought that Satan fell sometime after the garden. But as I've wrestled with the scriptures, some people say, Jim, you already talked about how he saw everything that he made and it was good. Hang on. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 only lists the visible part of creation. The invisible part of creation wasn't listed. We don't see the angels being created. In the book of Job, actually, God says to Job when he speaks to him, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the angels and the morning stars celebrated it? The angels existed prior to the creation of what we see in Genesis chapter 1. And Colossians tells us that he made things that are invisible as well as the visible. I personally, and I'll throw you some more scriptures out to let you wrestle with this. I personally think Satan's rebellion in heaven happened before the creation of the world. And God said, I'll tell you what you'll do. I gave you a lot in life. I made you a worship leader in heaven. I made you glorious. You're one of those guardian cherubs. You're not satisfied with your lot in life. You want more. You want to be God. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this world, I'm going to make this universe, I'm going to make this planet in it. And I'm going to create people that are lower than you. And I'm going to let you go down and infect them with that attitude. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to die for them. I'm going to let them choose whether they're going to worship you or worship me. And if they choose to accept me through faith, even though life will not be easy, in the life to come, I'm going to reward them by making them over you. Think about this for a second. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world? He had already been planned to be put to death before he even created anything. And the Bible also says that Satan has been sinning from the beginning. It says that in 1 John chapter 3. Satan's been sinning from the beginning. Hang on for a second. The book of Ezekiel tells us that he was created in perfection and beauty. And at some point after that, he rebelled and lost his position. So if he was created in perfection and beauty, he couldn't have been sinning from the beginning of his creation. When would he be sinning from the beginning of what we know of as time? I believe Satan's rebellion happened before the foundation of the earth. And folks, listen to me. Everything we see has been designed and created by God to display his glory and to point to this one that's going to reconcile mankind to himself. And if we humble ourselves and say, I'm willing to accept my lot in life. I don't want to be like Satan and not satisfied with my lot in life. I want to be like Jesus, who was willing to accept a role and to be willing to let the father teach him to submit and to suffer and all these things. If we become like Jesus and are satisfied to the role that God has for us, the Bible says one day we'll be rewarded. But in the meantime, and you're going to see this tonight, in the meantime, he gets tons of glory.
Because we say, I don't want to be like Satan. I want to be like God. So the universe, I believe, the earth was created after Satan's fall to display the glory of God and to point to who? To Jesus. But not only was the earth and the universe and everything we see that was made created to display his glory. Did you know the nation of Israel was made by God, designed by God to display his glory? Let me just show you a couple of scriptures that deal with that. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Everything that God institutes and starts has been made by him to display his glory. Isaiah 43, look at verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I'm with you. I'll bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I'll gather you. I'll say to the north, give up, and the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? My glory, whom I formed and made. Here he's talking to Israel, and he said, I love you, and I created you for my glory. Go to chapter 43 and look at verses 19 through 21. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might what? Declare my praise. By the way, how did Israel do? They didn't do too good, did they? Israel actually took that favored status and they decided that the reason God had given them favored status was not that they would point everybody to him, but it was because they were special and they actually turned their back on the God who created them and they lived for themselves and hated all the people around them. But I got good news for you. Those of you who know the scriptures, is God done with Israel? No. Guess what? Your marriage might not be displaying the glory of God just yet, but if you're willing to repent, it's not too late. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Go to chapter 49, chapter 49 of Isaiah. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Not only was Israel created to give glory to God, Israel was created to point to Jesus. In Isaiah 49, verses 5, 6, and 7, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. 
to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, servant of rulers. Kings shall see and rise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Do you see what he's saying? I've got a special individual that I've chosen to bring Israel back. My Holy One. Any idea who that is? It's Jesus. You all remember Genesis chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. When God started to form the nation of Israel and he called apart Abraham and he said, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And through you, all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How come? Because they weren't only created to bring glory to God. They were created to point to the one that was going to come from Israel, the Messiah, the one that had been planned before the foundation of the world, the one who helped make everything and even though he came to his own and his own didn't receive him, the nation of Israel, those of us who did receive him, we become the, get the right to become children of God. Go to Romans chapter 2. I'm going to show you something that maybe some of you have never really looked at. Paul is laying out in Romans chapter 2 the fact that everyone's guilty before God, Jew and Gentile. And as he's laying this foundation of that in for his book of Romans, he makes an interesting statement in verses 17 through 24. In Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's talking to the Jews. He says, you guys think you're special? You think you've been given God's law and you're a guide to the blind? Let me ask you a question. How have you done in keeping the law of God yourself? Not only have you not done it, you actually went against the whole purpose of why I created you. I created you to point people to me and to my son that you would be a glory for me. But instead, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. And I just got to be straight up because I, I didn't come here to just tell you what you like to hear. I'm going to just give you the word of God, and give you truth. Let me ask you a question today. With the marriage statistics that we know about in the United States, is there a difference between Christian marriages and the world's marriages when it comes to divorce and all that stuff. As you're about to see in just a little bit, God designed marriage to be for his glory and to point to Jesus as well. And we, in the same way as the nation of Israel, have had the name of God blasphemed among the nations. Because they'll say, there's no difference. There's no difference. Being a Christian doesn't make a difference. Everything's the same. Again, I'm not here to beat you up. I don't know who in here has had a divorce or not had a divorce, and that's not the issue. The issue is this. Are you willing today to turn to a God who says, Israel, I'm not done with you. I won't give up on you. I'm going to redeem you. But you have to come to a point where you humble yourself and you turn to me. And when you do, I'll regather you and I'm going to bring glory to myself. But because Israel disobeyed, he is now using who to display his glory? Who's us? The church. 
The church was designed by God. Not only was creation designed by God to bring him glory, Israel was designed by God to bring him glory. The church has been designed to bring God glory. But you're about to see it's deeper than you think. Let's start with the one we all know. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. We all probably can quote this one, but we're on a bigger stage than we realize. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and praise you. That's not what it says, is it? See your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who's in and praise your Father. In other words, folks, let's be honest. In the world that we live in today, if Christian marriages actually were living out all this stuff we're going to talk about this weekend and letting the Spirit of God work through us in a world in which the world says live for self and not for other people, and if we actually allowed God to let us, by His grace and His power, live the specific role He's given each of us in our marriages and His purposes, the world would see it, would they not? It would stand out. I mean, if there was ever a time that was dark, we're in one of those times. It's not hard to be light in this world. But you're on a bigger stage than just letting the world see God through your marriage. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to have you go to Philippians. It's right there by Ephesians, so it shouldn't bother you too much. I'm going to show you one more passage, then we'll get to Ephesians 3. By the way, in John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said that his father is glorified when we bear much fruit. But in Philippians chapter, go to Philippians chapter 1 and look at verses 3 through 11. One more time, just kind of lay out that God designed the church to bring glory to himself. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Before that's Ephesians 3. We'll get to that one in just a second. Oh, John 15, 8. Okay, I'm, thank you. John 15, 8. Sometimes they run through my head so fast, I, I don't remember what I just said, so I'm glad you asked. Philippians chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 11. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God's my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Don't miss what he says here. Writing to the church there in Philippi, he said, I thank God that I hear about you. I've heard of your salvation. I heard of your love for the Lord and your love for each other. Not only that, I, I, because of what I've heard, I know that he who began the good work in you is going to finish it because I see evidence of his, his work started. I have confidence about that. But my prayer is that you just won't be satisfied with where you are, that you'll desire more and more and more of Christ to be seen in you to the praise and the glory of God. Folks, all of our marriages in this room are at different levels. 
not just years of marriage, but different levels of our maturity and the closeness of our walk. That's one of the things that I praise God that my wife Becky and I got to develop earlier. We didn't get married until I was 25 and she was 21. And I had been in ministry from when I was 19, so I'd already been in full-time ministry for six years. And having been a pastor, I got to see some of the mistakes that marriages were making. And by the time we got married, we had already begun to learn how to build a solid foundation in the Lord. For example, back when my wife and I first were dating, I was uh, either on staff here in, uh, at First Baptist in Atlantic as youth pastor or away at seminary in New Orleans. She was a student at Florida State University. Either way, it was a six-hour drive from here to there or from New Orleans back. And do you remember back when you used to have to make phone calls? How many of you remember when you had to make phone calls and pay a phone bill according to how, how long you were on the phone? You remember what I'm talking about? We couldn't afford to talk to each other all the time. And so I, on Mondays and Thursdays, we would set that at a certain time we would talk. We also realized, realized that the phone calls all sounded the same. I miss you. I wish I could be with you. I wish we weren't so far apart. And finally, God started to get a hold of us and said, don't waste this time. Begin to develop your intimacy spiritually. And so I would set up on Monday that I would sit down and write down a bunch of scriptures for each Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. And then when we'd call on Monday, I'd give her the scriptures that we were going to look at for each day. And our phone calls then were, what did God show you from Monday's reading? What did God show you from Tuesday's reading? Then we, Thursday, we would continue it. The next Monday when we'd call, I'd give her the next list. And we began to develop our relationship on, in Christ. And we began to mature, even as young people. I don't know where your level of maturity is in your closeness and your intimacy, not just physically, but also spiritually in the Lord. It doesn't matter. Paul says God's designed to display his glory. Hunger for it to be deeper than it is. Hunger for more of Christ to be seen to the glory and the praise of God. But like I also hinted at, you're not just on a stage here that we can see. You're on a stage that you can't see. Go to Ephesians chapter three, and I mean it this time. Look at verses seven through 12. In Ephesians chapter three, look at verses seven through 12. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who is he designed to use the church to display his glory to according to this? The rulers and authority where? You mean the angels and the demons? See, we think, well, yeah, we had a whiz banger of a fight, but nobody saw it. No, actually, people did. Beings did. You remember how I told you, I think the scripture kind of hints at the fact that Satan's rebellion happened before the creation of the world. You do know that when Satan had his rebellion, a, 
about a third of the angels went with him in his rebellion. You know that first Peter talks about this salvation and how angels long to look into this relationship that we've been given with God. They rebelled and there was no reconciliation. There was no redeemer for them. Those who rebelled are doomed for eternity. We rebel and he sends his son to die for us and the angels are watching. The angels are curious. And folks, if you look at the scriptures, there was a time in Acts chapter 17 where these guys went to go and uh, cast the demon out of this guy. And they said, in the name of, of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demons spoke up and said, uh, we know who Jesus is. <laughs> and we've heard of Paul. But then they said, who are you? And beat them all up. But did you catch the fact that they said, we know who Paul is? The church has been designed by God to display his glory and his manifold wisdom to more than just the world that we can see. You're on display to the unseen realms. And when you, when nobody is watching, live in submission and say no to your flesh and yes to the glory of God, God gets glory. He gets glory. And so I want to challenge you. You may think, well, we're pretty good. God wants to take you even deeper because he's designed to use the church to display his glory. Um, I could go on. I think you get the idea that everything he's designed has been for his glory and to point to Jesus. But let's wrap up in the time we have tonight dealing with the fact that just like everything God has made, God has designed the marriage relationship to bring glory to God. And to point people to Jesus. Would we not agree that God is the one who designed marriage? Would we not agree he's the one who said one man, one woman, and that's my plan? He, well, listen, don't take my word for it. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Look at verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and the, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Jump over to chapter 2. Look at verses 18 through 24. Genesis 2 verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, listen closely, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Here we get a little clearer picture of what happened in chapter one where God made man, male and female. 
Here in chapter 2, he gives us a little microcosm of it. But it's an interesting thing. Have you all ever wrestled with the fact that before Eve was made, God had all the animals come by Adam and he named them. And then God says to him, by the way, um, any of these work for you? I mean, I've often wondered about it. You know, you could almost picture Adam going, even the hippopotamus has got a girlfriend. You know, where's mine? Did God say, man, I really thought one of those animals was going to work? No, remember Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world. And if Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world, God already knew that there was going to be creation, human beings, sin, a need of a savior. He, had, of course, knew there was going to be man and woman. So why was God, in our minds, wasting the time to have Adam not just name the animals, to see if any of those would be a helper suitable for him? What was God doing? There's another one of those questions. What do you think God was doing? You nailed, you nailed it. He was creating the desire in the heart of Adam for what God already had planned for him. By the way, you'll see that all through the scriptures. Whenever God wants to do something in the life of somebody, he puts the desire in their heart long before it ever happens. David was anointed king of Israel long before he was actually ever king. It took 15 years. Abraham was told, you're going to be a mighty nation and I'm going to bless you with children. 25 years till his baby was finally born. Joseph was given the vision and the dreams of his family bowing down, bowing down to him. It was 20 years before that ever happened. But God put in their heart a hunger and a desire for what he had already planned to bless them with. And that's why Adam says when she shows up, she looks like me. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I, I, I'm not going to ask you to answer this one specifically, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm sure a lot of you were like me in the years before marriage. You probably were going, when's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And God put in you a hunger and a desire for the spouse that he's blessed you with. Ironically, it isn't very long after he gets blessed with what he really wanted. And then he starts blaming her. <laughs> you ever notice that? And not only blamed her, he blamed who? He blamed God. This woman you gave me, I was, a, I was fine as a single man. <laughs> he has already forgotten the hunger that God had put in his heart. I don't want you to forget that either as we go through this weekend. God had been putting it in your heart and he's the one orchestrated. He's the one that brought you together. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is something that he's designed for you and prepared for you for a while. But it's not just for you. It's for him to display his glory and to point people to who? To Jesus. That's going to be where we're going to get into the specifics of that tomorrow. In the two sessions we're going to deal with, we're going to look at the very clear specifics of what the scripture says our roles as husband and wife are supposed to be and how they point to Jesus. And every one of them does. And you'll see, by the way, I'll give you a little commercial. Wives, the role that God has for you is not something that Jesus doesn't understand because Jesus took the exact same role that he's asked the wives to take. Husbands, the role that God has for you is not something Jesus doesn't understand because Jesus actually took the exact same role that he asked the husbands to take. And I'm going to lay that all out for you tomorrow. But for tonight, I want you to let the scripture speak to you about the fact that God has designed this relationship that you have with your spouse, not just to bless you with someone in this life, but also to display his glory and to point everyone around you to Jesus. Go to Ephesians chapter 5.
We're going to come back to this passage tomorrow as we get into specifics. But for tonight, I just want to look at verses 31 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. After Paul has laid out all these specifics that we're going to get to tomorrow, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, before I read any more, does that sound familiar to anybody? Where have we heard this before? Genesis chapter 2. Don't miss this, guys. Let the truth of this sink in. What Paul says here about our marriage goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. God's plan before the foundations of the world. This marriage relationship that we've been blessed to have, some for you don't know how long, six, seven years, you don't know. But in others who... Who've been married 36 and it felt like 63, whatever it was. But we don't know how long we've been. This relationship we've been blessed to have is something God designed before the foundation of the world. Some of you on a second marriage. And the relationship he's blessed you with was planned by God for this time as well in your life. For the display of his glory and to point people to Jesus but look at what he says next. The man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Again, let that sink in. What God said back in Genesis chapter 2 was laying a foundation for what he was going to do with the church and marriage, pointing out what the church Christ relationship was going to be like. Pretty amazing thing. Then he ends with, however, let each of you love his wife of his himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll get into all that tomorrow. We've seen that all of creation has been created to display God's glory. Israel was made to display God's glory. Because of Israel's disobedience and rejection, God's using the church for a season to display his glory until the end when he uses Israel to bring glory to himself again. And our marriages bring glory to God by pointing to Jesus and his bride, the church, which ultimately was created to bring glory to Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You're in chapter 3. Go back to chapter 1. Look closely at what Paul says here. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, he says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There it is again. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to what? 
to the praise of his glory. Did anybody catch what was repeated over and over and over and over in this passage? In him, in Christ, in him. Let me encourage you with something. As we get into the specifics, and you're going to spend a little bit of time before you close tonight, talking to your spouse just a little bit. I'm going to give you something to chew on tonight. And then we're going to get into more specifics tomorrow. Get over the hump of, I'm not sure I can do it. You can't. You can't. Get that settled right now. Don't look at your spouse and say, I'm going to do better. You would just lie to them. But if everything was designed and planned before the foundation of the world to be centered in him, that means that all you need to be working on is allowing yourself by faith daily to say no to your flesh and yes to him. And when you walk in him, well, I think Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.16. So I say walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Folks, as we start going deeper this weekend, Understand that the only way your marriages can ever display Jesus, the only way they can see that you are the light of the world is if, I think John 1 called him the true light, is in you and you're letting him lead. Satan loves to come in and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, we'll blow those all up tomorrow. For tonight, let me ask you this question again. Is your marriage pointing people to Jesus and bringing glory to God. If there was ever a time that godly marriages would stick out and be noticeably different, today's the day. But it's not too late. Just as with Israel, he'll use us if we repent. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this chance to come and just lay this foundation, allow your spirit to kind of speak to us from your word about the fact that you have been planning this for a long, long time. And everything is about your glory. We see that when we get to Revelation and how John's given a glimpse of what's going on. And the full living creatures, they start praising you and they sing praises about your creation. And the 24 elders, the church, are also bowing down to you and bringing you glory. We see all this stuff. The nation of Israel is bringing you glory at the end of the tribulation period. And all these things that you've designed for your glory are one day every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. But right now... For your purposes, you desire to use us as husband and wife. We think about, well, well what kind of a ministry? Am I going to be a preacher or a teacher? Am I going to be, what is my gifting? Lord, you've already gifted us with something, and that's our spouse. And the roles that you've designed that we're going to talk about tomorrow and how we're to live them out that we're going to talk about tomorrow. But Lord, for tonight, break our hearts to the point that we care more about your glory than our comfort. We care more about you being seen than our needs being met. And we thank you ahead of time for the fact that as we obey your word, you not only meet our needs, you bless us in ways that the world would never understand. So for tonight, keep the enemy from beating us up because you love us. And you are the God who continually says, give me what you got and let's go from here. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. You know that when Jesus was right before the cross, he turned to his disciples and he said, uh, Satan's asked to mess with you all. But then he turns to Peter and he says, it's, it's kind of clear in the Greek. He, he says, Satan asked to mess with all of you, but I prayed for you specifically, Peter. I'm going to allow the enemy to do a little damage in your life, 
but I've got a purpose for it, and I want you to come out of it stronger. So after you return, I'm going to use you to strengthen the brothers. Peter says, <laughs> you don't know me very well. Uh, I, I'm willing to go to prison and death. Jesus says, actually, you will die for me one day, but it's going to be 25 years from now. Right now, you're going to deny you even know me three times for the rooster crows. By the way, um, who was right? <laughs> exactly. But when Jesus meets back up with him, the Bible says, calls it the third time after he'd risen from the dead. When they're on the shore, he turns to Peter and he says, hey, this little fire that we got going here with the fish on reminds me of somebody. Hey, Peter, when's the last time I saw you around a fire? By the way, what was Peter doing the last time he was around a fire? He was denying Jesus. He says, do you really love me more than these? Because I remember a guy said he loved me the most. Peter's answer was, I, I do. Jesus says, then why would you deny me? What's your problem? Why, why? No, he didn't do that, did he? Did he point out all the mistakes he'd made in the past? What did Jesus say, folks? Let's get going from here. He says it again. Do you really love me more than these? And Peter says, I do. And he says again, let's get going from here. Feed my lambs. Then he asked him a third time. And Peter's answer is awesome. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He says, yep, let's get going from here. So as you discuss a little bit tonight and through this weekend, we will not hear of, well, you did this and you did that. Who's talking if you say, well, you did this and you did that? Who's talking? Is it Jesus or Satan? Satan. Jesus is the one who's going to say, okay, let's get going from here. You can look at your spouse tonight and say, I really want God to be glorified in what we do and how we live our lives. I want it to point to Jesus, and he knows your heart. He'll say, let's get going from here, and I can't wait to tell you the rest of it tomorrow.